This is a prayer, like I said, many people have heard most of their lives. And according to the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, this is a prayer that was used when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. This model has popularly been called what? The Lord's Prayer. Yes. It's an accumulation, though, and I didn't know if you knew that, of some prayers that have been brought together that the Jews would have prayed daily. The Israelites prayed at least three times a day, reciting prayers that they had been taught. And if they forgot, they would actually recite it more that evening or when they did remember to pray. They would pray again many times. So they took this meat, Jesus did, and accumulated some of what he thought was the most important. And then when he told his disciples how to pray, he was using some of the statements and terms that were taken all the way back to the Torah. When Jesus instructed his disciples to pray both, he and they saw prayer as such an important part of the relationship with God. And I believe sometimes we can go through prayers and not realize what we're saying or even what we're praying. Sometimes we do it because we're instructed or we're reading a prayer. I don't know if you guys have done this before, and I'm actually embarrassed to say it, but Tim and I have sat down for dinner, and we'll get ready to eat, and one of us will go, we need to pray. And the other one goes, we already did. And that's like, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. I didn't realize that. Then I have to say, sorry, Lord, forgive me. I just got in the habit and didn't realize that I had already prayed. And sometimes we do that with prayers. So what I want us to do is I want us to see this prayer a little differently when we think about it and not just recite it. Have you ever taken this prayer and actually broke it down any and connected your heart to it? For instance, the very beginning, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What you might do is say, Lord, I just want you to be holy today. I want you to be holy in my life. Let my words, let my actions, let my heart be connected to you so that everything I do reflects you today. And then go on. The reason we might do something like that is because we get in the habit of prayer and we want our hearts to be connected. And by doing that, it connects us and puts God in his rightful place and us in ours. Both Matthew and Luke provide a similar version of the Lord's Prayer. Both prayers begin by addressing God as the Father, and that was Jesus' favorite way of referring to God. Calling God Father obviously here tells us about the intimate relationship that Jesus feels with his Father God. And both of them relate to Jesus, and Jesus tells them next to pray to God his name be holy, and then also when he says his name be holy, what it actually refers to is hagiazo, which is a verbal form of hagios, which means set apart. And one of the songs you shared talked about us being set apart. And we are to remember that God's name is holy, different than any other, and it should be set apart. So when we pray to him in that way, we need to remember that, meaning that his name should be reverenced. Secondly, the words of this model next are, Thy kingdom come. It's usually assumed that this is a request that God would presently usher the kingdom that he promised to earth at that moment. But, what is the kingdom? Do we really know what the kingdom means and what he means when he says that? And when he asks us to pray that? And that's the text we're going to look at this morning, is Thy kingdom come. The phrase kingdom of God refers to God's reign or rule. And during the past two centuries, New Testament scholars argued what Jesus meant when he said, Thy kingdom come. 
Many of Jesus' parables about the kingdom of God obviously refer to the kingdom of God happening at that present time. But they also found that many of the parables... Can you go get me some water, please? Thank you. My throat's getting itchy. They found that some of the parables also meant the future kingdom to come. So then what did the, what did the parables mean? Does it mean now or does it mean the future? So they actually agreed to agree, meaning it has future connotations, but it has also here and now. Have you ever thought of that? Thank you. I get caught in mouth in the mornings for some reason. <laughs> oh, wow, I can talk better now. Thank you. Okay, so if it means future and present, what does it mean when we pray that? And how does it look for us when we say that statement? Because future present is a kingdom that's going to be realized at some day that only God knows. But then here and now is what they call the realized kingdom. It's God living out his kingdom here and now, but through you and me. We bring God's kingdom to earth by the way we live our days and let God work in and through us as we look forward to the kingdom to come. Does that make sense? So when we say that prayer, that is what Jesus is referring to. So if that's the case, your kingdom come has both present and future meaning. How does that affect the way we look at that portion of the prayer and how we apply it? So when we realize God is active now, preparing for then, it is present and future oriented. And his desire is for all of us to be a part of that. We're not supposed to just set our eyes on eternity accept Christ into our lives and feel, okay, we've added ourselves to the book of life and then consider our task done and then just go about living our lives here on earth. That's not what God has planned for us. You see, we can retire from jobs as we get older. We also can get into other ministries and do other things that seem to keep us busy, but we never retire from a calling. You always have a calling and something for God something God has for you to do. Now, that could change. God might change the seasons of your lives, but there's never going to be a time you don't have a calling in your life and something God has planned for you to do. We are supposed to be kingdom-living followers till our very last breath. A kingdom follower understands they are part of a story, which makes them part of a plan. So they are kingdom builders. They understand that they are an instrument, a part of the body that God uses to bring his kingdom to earth while we are awaiting the moment where God calls us all to his kingdom that he establishes for eternity. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, he actually lines it out pretty well, but it's a pretty lengthy part of the Bible. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to point out a few verses for you. And if you want to go ahead and read along with me, you're welcome to. Um, in Philippians 3, verse 12, he says, Not that I have already obtained this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. And then down in verse 14, he says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Then he goes on in 17 to say, join together in following my example. And then in 20, he says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Hallelujah to that, huh? <laughs> and we eagerly await a savior from there 
the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Amen. I know. Hallelujah to that. So, Paul acknowledges that he has not obtained the goal yet, but presses forward to which God has called him. You see, he knows he's not done. He knows that God still has a plan for him. You see, Paul understands that how he lives here on earth and what he does both focuses on God's kingdom in the here and now and focuses for the promised future kingdom. You see, to do this, we have to have our minds set on a direction. We have to know where we're going. We have to know where we're heading. And we have to have intention. Meaning that while we're here on earth, what is done is part of God's building plan for the kingdom. What you do must be for intent. There is a purpose. We have to step back. And if we do that, and look at God's word, you know, the Bible, if you take this and many of you have read it through, I'm sure, many times. If you take God's word from beginning to end, you see how everything fits together. You see that there's a plan. You see that there's a purpose. And you see that there's a beginning that leads to a glorious end. Hallelujah to that. But within that plan, he has a purpose for us also to be involved and to bring a fallen world back to himself, to reconcile us, to be with him, because he wants us so much. Anytime we go to do something and build something, we have to plan it out if we want it to end up right. You know, we usually have a blueprint. We usually have a purpose. We map it out. Just like when someone's building a home, or when someone's, um, I think a lot of these con- uh, building construction individuals, and they, they have a blueprint, Then they build a foundation. Then they start putting things up with an end result. And if they don't put everything in the proper order, the end product is not going to be what they wanted it to be. And so God knew in all of his knowledge and all of his wisdom exactly what it would take for the end product. And he put us here and orchestrated us into the plan. You are not here by chance or coincidence. You have a purpose. Paul, I think about a specific scripture. He was ready to go home. And I remember that's one of the only times I really hear Paul's heart saying, I'm just tired in this world. And it's in Philippians 1-2. It says, um, I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. So he's saying, I'm done here on this earth. He says, but... It is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy and faith. You see, Paul saw the bigger picture. He's like, I'm tired of this world, but I know that God's still using me. And so if God's allowing me to still have breath, that means he's still using me, and it's for the benefit of spreading his word and being an example for others. Paul lived with intent, and that's what we should be doing each and every day. I go through life sometimes and I forget. I'll be sitting at lunch, and as I was preparing this sermon, last night we went to dinner, and I was even sitting there eating, and this this filtered through my mind, this specific part that, do I realize that even right now I'm being used? Whether I realize it or not, everything we do is a witness, whether it be a good one or a bad one. 
but we have a purpose. And to see God's word and his people living with intent, we got to remember we have to do that also. That we have to be living out his word and pointing the way to Christ, living as an example, a model, and pressing on for the future goal in mind. Paul and his disciples that followed him and Christ, they pointed the way, the way to the kingdom and the way to God. They had a purpose and they lived it out with intention to spread the good news until everyone they could. In Acts, we can read of the spread of the apostles after Christ's crucifixion, his resurrection, and his ascension. We learn that they spread the word wherever they went. They went through trials. They were stoned. They were flogged. They went through imprisonment. They also went through threats of death. And some of them died a death, yes, as martyrs. They shared their story of Christ, not with just the Jews, but the Gentiles. And the great commission that Christ passed on was not just for his disciples and followers at that time. It was for us too. In Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This command was so important that right before his ascension, God talked through his son and made it the, one of the last things he told us. And you notice it's a command. Anything Christ tells us to do, did you know that? That that's a command? It's not a suggestion. It's not a request. It's a command from your God to you. So we are told to go. Now, we may not have the same obstacles that the disciples had. We don't face the things that some in other countries face. But we do have our own hurdles that can keep us from being effective kingdom builders. And the first one, fear. Is there anybody in here that's ever dealt with fear? I'm glad to know I'm not the only one. Fear. It is paralyzing. It will keep your feet from moving and your mouth from testifying. Many want to share Christ. And they just don't know how to do it, though. They're afraid of offending someone. They're afraid of uh, what they might say. They might hurt somebody. But let me tell you, authenticity is the key. People can tell when you're fake. They can tell when you're trying to... Oops, can you still hear me? They can tell when you're trying to push something on them. Just be you, who God created you to be. When you follow Christ and actively seek his kingdom to build his kingdom and be involved with his story, he will put people in your life and in your path that need to hear you and see you live out your faith. When the Holy Spirit lives within you, you will have what you need. You have all you need. Multiple times in the word, we are told that we will be guided by the Holy Spirit and his truth will remind us of what needs to be said and what we need to know. Another thing fear does is it makes you doubt your ability to reach someone. I don't have a good testimony. I don't know how to convince someone of Christ. Let me tell you something. People can argue their philosophy and their belief system with you all day long. But one thing they cannot argue with you is your story. That's your biggest testimony, is your life and your story. There are people that you can reach and connect with that would not connect with me, and vice versa. 
because of the experiences, personality types, characteristics. God created you specifically for that reason to reach specific people that others could not reach. The areas of your life that you've seen God work, those are the best testimonies. Those are authentic, and that's what draws people. On the other side of your failures is victory, and it creates a testimony of how God brought you through it. And nobody can argue that. On the other side of your grief and your pain is healing and a testimony of how God carried you through that and used other people to reach out to you. Nobody can argue that. Fear can make you clam up, afraid of what others will say and think. You're afraid they'll have negative perceptions of Christians and that they'll project those same perceptions on you and maybe even be judgmental towards you. Or they'll pull away from you and isolate themselves from you and the relationship because they think you're trying to convert them. The enemy uses these whispers and lies. You know why? To make you not be effective. He doesn't want you making a difference in the world. But when you step back and you realize that it's the enemy whispering lies in your mind, you can remind yourself there's nothing to be afraid of. In fact, God has uniquely positioned you where you are. And the influence that you make is going to most likely be in the circle of your friends and those around you and in your daily activity of the people he puts in your path. Do not let fear paralyze you from being a part of God's kingdom, building and using opportunities. Don't let fear stop you from that. Give glory to God. God will provide the opportunity. You don't have to go looking and thinking, okay, God, I got to go find someone today. Oh, no, no. He will put those opportunities in your path. So don't worry about that. And then his spirit will be your guide. Don't worry about that. All you've got to do is just be available because he will make you able and capable. Another hurdle that keeps us from being effective kingdom builders is lack of faith. Is there anybody in here that wishes they could have more faith? Me too. Good. So I'm so glad to hear I'm not alone on that one either. See, lack of faith is different than fear. Faith is something we embody. The truth is we all lack some faith, and sometimes more than others. To be more precise, faith is not something we merely have or don't have. It's a process and something we possess. It's something either we grow or diminish. It progresses or it can regress with every passing day. Matter of fact, every passing breath sometimes, right? From moment to moment. It involves ups and downs, victories, setbacks, triumphs, disappointments. That's because faith is an aspect of our very relationship with God, a product of our walk with Christ, and the constant gentle influence of the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes it's so quiet. And sometimes it's not. And When we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and we listen, our confidence will grow. And it grows in Him little by little at times, but it still grows our faith. And you know what that does? As our faith grows, what do you think happens to our fear? Our fear diminishes. So as our faith grows, our fear diminishes, almost like a teeter-totter. Christianity isn't about having faith alone, though. From a biblical point of view, there's something we have to do with faith. Does anybody know? 
Faith is like a verb. Think of it. Faith has to be moved. It has to be exercised. It's as strong as the object behind it. I believe that this is going to hold my paper, and I believe it's going to hold my Bible. But until I really put it on here, sometimes these things will slide down. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if it's going to do that or not. So sometimes we have to put things to the test. So we can't be fully convinced until we put our faith to the test. I can, I can believe that Christ is my Lord. He's my Savior. He really is God in the flesh, and He has my best interest at heart. And I can tell you that with all my heart and soul. But myself, until I start exercising it, I will see how strong my faith really is. Until I put it to the test. We have to trust in God's word. Which means pressing forward in spite of our feelings sometimes to trust our, to trust our faith to grow. And in doing that, that can be very scary. Because sometimes we're having to push through fears or anxieties. And doing something that needs to be done. Even when our emotions are full of fear. And screaming for us to cut and run. Shut our mouth. Not speak up. Or take the easy way out. But we're missing an opportune moment. Faith and fear cannot exist together. One will outweigh the other and diminish the other. Faith is described in Hebrews 1 as being certain of what we do not see. It's an absolute belief that God is constantly working behind the scenes in the areas of our lives, even when there's no tangible evidence to support the fact. Our deliverance from fear and weary is based on our faith. The Christian's faith is a confident assurance in a God who loves us, who knows our thoughts, and who cares about our deepest needs. The more we learn about God, the more we can see Him working in our lives. Have you ever noticed that you can look back in areas of your life and see something happen that you didn't realize God was working there all along? And then what's that do? That helps your faith, doesn't it? It helps your story. It helps your testimony when you see God working. You know, every Christian has to wrestle with doubt, fear, failure, inconsistency, and hypocrisy. In a certain sense, the only reliable road sometimes to grow our faith is through some of these circumstances, and that stinks, huh? (laughs) It really stinks when we're growing through it. It's like, Lord, I don't want to go through this right now. But on the other side, like I said earlier, that's your testimony. Even the disciples had to find their way through this. Can you imagine when they should have believed in Christ the most, the risen Christ himself stood before them on a mountaintop in Galilee. I mean, wow, what an experience. You know what Matthew says? Some doubted. What? So the thing is, is you're not alone if you're dealing with doubt, if you're dealing with fear. God is kind and understanding towards our weakness, but he requires us to go forward in faith. And the Bible is clear of that. Faith does not mature and strengthen without trials or adversity. And a lot of times it's God's most effective tool for us to develop our faith. The pattern is evident in scripture. And we find that trials can become stepping stones to stronger and deeper faith. It gives us the ability to say, he sustained me in the past. He'll carry me through today, and he will uphold me in the future, because I've seen him do it before. This assurance gives confidence, and confidence to move forward in faith, knowing that God uses others to point the way to himself. He does it in his word. We see it in other lives, and also, 
He'll do it in you. Now, so we have fear and faith. And the last one, and it's kind of a hard word to say because I don't like looking at it and seeing myself. Selfishness. Mm -hmm. It's an ugly word, naughty word. Hearing this word alone can make us defensive, not wanting to think we can be selfish. But you know what? If you set back and really look at our hearts and our motives, we can see that we can make excuses for things we do or do not want to do. And we can at times be selfish, can't we? Selfishness keeps us from being kingdom builders because we may not want to be inconvenienced. We may not want to get involved with something we're um, feeling the Holy Spirit prompting us to do because it does not fit our schedule, especially if we have something planned and it just gets intersected right in the middle of our day. Good grief, God, can't you see I'm busy right now? We're building barns. So, <laughs> so God, he will give you an opportunity to witness and deposit into his kingdom. And if we're being selfish, we may not see it. Someone once told me, Pastor Steve Dickerson, I don't know if any of you know him. He's still um, part of the Nazarene Church, but he's up north, way up north now. He said, stay loose. And that was a big statement because he said, do not get so busy or tied up that you do not leave room for God's moments and opportunities in your lives. Mm -hmm. And when they arrive, do not overlook or ignore them because you are missing out on a blessing. You see, we may not want to release something tangible too. Because it's ours. Well, everything we have was God's first. And he has allowed us to become stewards with it. So what are we going to do with it? Anything we have can be used for God's kingdom. Whether it be our time, which seems to be the most cherished now. Talents. Or treasures. Today we are busy and overtasked by our calendars. We are jam-packed. It can be inconvenient to stop and share. Make a good old-fashioned house call. Invite someone to church. Takes a lot of invites to get them here. Or even go pick someone up and take them to lunch afterwards because we have something else we would rather be doing. Do you know those are some of the best areas and ways to witness and do kingdom work? It's not me standing up here. It really isn't. You may have some things you learned today, but you'll forget a lot of it by the time, by tonight. But, and yes, we pastors know that. It's a true fact we just come to reality with. But, it's outside these walls, you guys. It's what you take in your hearts, what you grow, and what you do outside these walls. That's where the real kingdom work takes place. And that's where the enemy is going to fight the hardest to keep you from working. So, selfishness is when we put our will before God's. Anytime we put our will before God's. So what would that look like? And would your life be any different if in the morning you prayed the Lord's Prayer Thinking of the kingdom purpose here and now, but also the end realized kingdom. So living in the now, preparing for then, and putting God's will be done in your life, and thinking of everything you do that day being a way you are witnessing to God. Would that change the way that you look at the day and the way that you go through it? God gave you all your abilities to use for His kingdom. We are not to use them for our own selfish ambition, and your kingdom effective building might look completely different than someone else's. But the amazing thing is He wants to use us all. We're all included in this history that He is creating. 
even our daily lifestyles, activities, hobbies, and desires are connected with other people we could meet with. At our church, people like to golf. I don't get it. It seems like the most boring thing in the world. And it's like, you go out there and you hit a ball, yippee skippy. But they love it. They love it. And, it. and then one of them tells me, it's all about fellowship. It's really not about the golf. And then I'm okay, I get that one. Because uh, I don't get the golf thing, but the fellowship, perfect. They find people to connect with. And they meet out on the golf course. Tim and I, in our realm of horse riding, we try to be a witness in that. So wherever you are with what you like and what you do, that's a gift God has given you. And you may not be Mother Teresa, but you know what? He only needed one and he only created one. Just thank God you're not Hitler. Just try to be somewhere in between. That's all you got to do. Be someone in between and just be who you are. And let God use your gifts and your talents to reach some people for the kingdom. You are unique with a unique personality and unique gifts. And they all are created to reach and influence someone that he puts in your path. What matters is that you are just being yourself and letting him use you. And be effective and an active part of the story with who he puts in your path. Our fleshly tendencies can be self-centered. And it's something that we will all have to battle with at times. Your struggles may seem larger than someone else's. And maybe you even feel you can't be used. You may feel that someone is better equipped. But do you realize that if you don't push past those fears, what you are doing is you're letting that fear get stronger than your faith again, aren't we? And what we're doing is we're putting God in a box and saying He can't be effective. And we're saying that His grace isn't big enough to even use us. When He can use other people like Paul and Moses and others that we may even have influence, He can use you just the same. He says in Romans 8.28, He works all things together for the good. So there's our testimonies too. Everything that we've learned and made mistakes through, wow. We could share, I got a lot of things I could share with people and hopefully make their lives better through my mistakes. So next time you pray the Lord's Prayer, I'm hoping you see it a little differently. And, or any prayer that you recite even. See it as a prayer and an invitation. You know, think about when someone invites you somewhere, they've thought of you, right? If you've had an invitation to a birthday party, a wedding, a graduation, anything, just a dinner, a fellowship, a retirement, I bet you've attended tons of those in your life, right? Some of them you wanted to go and you felt honored. Some of them not so much. You went out of obligation, right? I know we've all been to those. But it was an invitation. Do you realize the very fact that you were born is an invitation? An invitation to eternity with God. And the fact that you're here still breathing means you still have something to be done. And that's to help invite others along the way to be a part of the kingdom here as we live out Christ and point that way to him and prepare for our final destination. Like, like Paul said, pressing towards the prize. So because his kingdom is still yet to come, and at the same time God's kingdom is still here being lived through us, you are part and I'm a part. We are all commanded, remember, not requested to be a part. But we have a choice to listen to that command or not. Regardless of how hard you try or try not to, you're a witness. It just determines on whether you're a good one or a bad one. You have that choice, but you are always influencing and witnessing to people. You determine if you're a kingdom builder for God's kingdom or not by the choices you make each day. 
Remembering and understanding how important it is to keep our purpose at the forefront of our mind is what determines our actions. Remember how I said the Jews prayed several times a day? They also um, said they were supposed to say like 100 blessings a day. Now, I was thinking about that. Why would that be so important? So think about this. If you're praying constantly every day, taking time, and you're saying blessings each day, where's that going to keep your heart and your relationship with Christ? Exactly. Centered. And today we get so busy, we get off task, that we don't stay centered on God. Sometimes we need to realign ourselves. Tim and I are building up some barns right now, and we thought we had it all perfect and planned and measured. And you know what? We keep having to go back and realign things that we thought were centered and balanced. He goes, how can it be off? It's level. We leveled it. Well, something happened. It sunk. Now we got to go fix something. The ground sunk. There's a sinkhole in the middle of our barn, and it goes like that. So we had to go back realign some stuff, loosen some screws, and realign it. Sometimes we have to realign our hearts, guys. And remember the forefront of our mind is where we are supposed to keep Christ and His kingdom and our purpose. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word, for you are holy, God. And just to think that you, the creator of the universe, took the time us. And, Lord, put us in your plan to redeem ourselves we could not do. But you set out a plan so we could be redeemed to you. And we thank you for that. And you have this whole story and this whole purpose. And, Lord, you have a plan for us to be a part of that, to help bring your kingdom here in this world And to take our eyes off of worldly things, but to keep it on you. As we go through each day, Lord, may you be the forefront of our minds. And may we remember our purpose. And Lord, may we be a good witness and point to you in all we do. In your precious name, amen.